Hey guys, I'm Adam Rappaport, and this is the Bon Appetit Foodcast. All right, this week we have a very exciting show for you. BA's own Carla Lolly Music just published a cookbook. It came out yesterday. Over the past two years, alongside her job here, where she tests recipes and writes words and edits words and comes on this podcast and is a video star and so much more, uh, she was also writing her very own cookbook. I chat with Carla about her approach to the book, what the process was like, and we discuss some of the recipes in there. It's called Where Cooking Begins uncomplicated recipes to make you a great cook. It's beautiful and it's out there now and you should definitely go pick up a copy and make sure you check in with Carla on our Instagram feed, uh, which is at Lolly Music, L-A-L-L-I-M-U-S-I-C, where she'll be announcing some book tour dates. All right, here we go. So Carla, I know that you wrote a cookbook, but mm-hmm. I had no sort of sense of when you were writing this cookbook. That's good. That means I like s- somehow pulled off the d- double life I was living. It's kind of like you pitch, you're like, hey, I want to do this book. I'm like, yeah, cool, cool. And then like two years later, all of a sudden, like here are the galleys. That's pretty much how it worked. So like when? When were you doing this? Uh, Gosh, when it takes about two years is what I learned. So from when I sold the proposal, I had... Well, let's talk proposal. What, okay. was the, what was the elevator pitch? What did you say to the agents or whomever? The elevator pitch was basically that I wanted to make, I wanted to write a cookbook that was going to make people excited to go food shopping. Mm, as opposed to clothes shopping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and sort of getting at this idea that shopping could be part of your creative process because I feel like people, you know, especially sort of slow food people will say like, well, if you start with great ingredients, you don't even need to do Mm, anything to them. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's totally. But like, I don't even know how to get a good ingredient. So kind of like drilling down on that actually shopping for food could be part of deciding what you're going to make. And I think you you shop like this. Like you do you're you're a good actually very good example of the shop small often and go home to like a pretty well equipped kitchen. Yes, I cuz I do I'd like to shop. I like as you said I like to go to the market and see like ooh that looks like a really beautiful pork chop or that looks like some amazing leeks or whatever is in the produce aisle or man that that that, that like citrus right now we're recording this in early March is right. just abundant at a good market. I don't though feel I think where you and I differ. I I lack a plan when I shop. I kind of am too one off like what I'm just going to make that night and then right. I'm then that We've talked about this scenario before. Then all of a sudden, you're left with like half a head of broccoli or half a bunch of cilantro and parsley. And then a week and a half later, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And it's limp in the back of your crisper drawer and it's just depressing. Yeah. One thing I realized sort of through doing the recipes and then talking about the recipes in the book since then is like sometimes you go shopping in your fridge. Oh, (laughs) hello there. (laughs) Well, I think for, you know, the idea that like you could stop somewhere on the way home and be like, I know I'm going to eat dinner tonight. Just like after a few CBD (laughs) mints or something. No. (laughs) Baby, let's go shopping in the fridge. (laughs) No, I mean it in a real way that sometimes I'm like, all right, what are we, what are we working with here? There's actually recipes in the book that I, that I made because I was like, I'm hungry. I have not shopped. And I'm going to go shopping in the fridge. And then I sometimes I just take a bunch of stuff out yeah. at like mystery basket and then 
put things back as I go that I'm like actually not going to go in that direction. There's a stir fry with cabbage and bacon and peanuts mm. that I made one day because I was hungry and I was too lazy to go Did you throw any like, rice vinegar in yes, there or something? Yeah, I did. Perk and it up. Yeah, exactly. I would say the king of my fridge shopping meal, the king meal, I don't even know what I'm talking about, sorry. Um, <laughs> I've only had one coffee this morning. Uh, Pasta carbonara. Sure. Because you pretty much always have eggs. I always have a hunk of Parmesan, and sometimes I have bacon. And if you know how to make carbonara well, and you've done recipes, you've written about extensively in BA, it's one of those dishes you're like, God, this is so good. Yeah, and that's a smart one, too, because expanding the idea of what a well-stocked pantry means. Mm. Like, pantry, to me, also includes... I wish I had a pantry. I don't right. have a pantry. Growing up, I remember it was like a little yeah. closet you walked into yeah. with shelves and stuff on My it. My mom has, like, see. a room that you go into. It's incredible. So but But thinking of pantry as as not just dry goods, but, mm. like, pantry should, like you said, in, ha, include cheese and... Cold, cold pantry. Yeah. And bacon. Like those can be part of what you think of as your pantry, like your staples yeah. or your, I call them in the book, the functional items, like the things pretty that- pretty sexy term. Did you right? Come up with that yourself? I did. <laughs> well, see, it's supposed to sound kind of not sexy, actually. Oh, utilitarian. Like the fun shopping, which is like your farmer's market yeah. or- Steelhead your... salmon. That sort yeah. of stuff. <laughs> Steelhead I don't know what steel- salmon- Is that a thing? <laughs> Isn't that a thing? Steelhead yeah. salmon? I think it's seasonal. So you're like yes. excited because. Well, yeah, when you see like the wild salmon, you're like, oh my God, it's so orange. I yeah. can't believe that. I'm going to buy it for $34 a pound. Exactly. Screw it. And then you go, that's your fun shopping, right? Your steelhead salmon's mm. running again. Never bought salmon in my life. Uh, really? I'm not a salmon guy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Sometimes I really crave it, but sometimes I don't crave it till I see it. Yeah. Like what you just well, described. There's certain markets you go to and you're like, God, that salmon just looks so sad. It's like that kind of opaque and it looks a little bit mushy almost. It's just sitting there and you're like, ugh. And then sometimes you see it and it's pristine and glistening and you're like, wow. Right. And sometimes, this is you know another thing, people choose the recipe before they go shopping. So Mm. they might be like, oh, hey, hey, honey, we're having salmon tonight. And then they're like- Slamming salmon. (laughs) And then they're like, I'm having salmon. I decided on salmon. I told my my housemate we're having salmon. Now I'm going to go get the salmon. And then go to the store and like you said the salmon just looks like ooh, it kind of looks like the fillet got torn up a little bit or somebody yeah, like want, clawed you, it you, you don't want to up and salmon. then you're like what now what do i do because well, I so what do you do in that instance? because like all right so that's a great question we and we talk about especially at, at fish markets and at times with meat also it's like buy what looks best but there are certain recipes that work with certain types of fish or certain types of meat and if they don't have salmon, like subbing in like a flaky cod or something is not the same experience. So like, let's say the salmon doesn't look good. What are you looking, and what, re- give me a salmon recipe in your mind that you might be thinking of making, and then you go to the market and the salmon doesn't look good. So yeah, me, I think, you know, you could be craving salmon. So you want to, you know, think one easy sort of way of thinking about it is like people love salmon because the skin gets crispy and they're the flesh is kind of rich and fatty, but it's not like too fishy. No, it's not and like mackerel. It's like good yeah, fatty. It's rich, like yes. good fatty and it's rich. And you're like, oh, I want that crispy skin and I want it to be like just slightly pink in the middle. And then you go to the thing and it's like, oh, the salmon actually li- doesn't look great. Mm-hmm. Now what do I do? So you can, what I want people to do is think, okay, well, am I after the like crunchy skin fatty experience or do I really want fish? And honestly, to me, like you could pivot to a recipe that is for a, a chicken thigh at that point, because because a Whoa. lot of those same 
things will work. Wow. A lot of those flavors will work. There's a recipe in the book for a crispy skinned salmon that has like a tartar sauce that you make out of shaved um, cauliflower and it's got like a lot oh, of yeah. citrus in it and it's a little bit fatty like somewhere between yeah like tartar remoulade with with cauliflower in it and lots of chives that would be great with cauliflower citrus like that'd be great with chicken it would probably work with a pork chop too but if you wanted to stay in the fish family I would then at that point talk to the fish guy and be like I want a fish where the skin will get crisp but I but I can cook the whole thing in a pan yeah, like with salmon, for instance, like if you want to do a sort of an Asian-y glaze treatment, kind of in that miso cod family, like that sort of thing could probably. Work. And the reason in black cod is sable fish, correct? Right. But that's kind of similar to salmon in that it's rich and fatty, totally. and its skin can get crispy, and it kind of slips apart. So you kind of want fish with similar qualities. And I, and I think with any shopping experience, if you can go to a place where the people working there know what they're talking about, right. That makes a huge difference. So yes. you can tell the counter person, hey, I want to make this. What you know? What can I sub? I always find when I ask like a very specific question of like the meat counter or the fish counter person, you kind of ask one or two questions. And then if they're worth their salt, which is an expression I like, if they're worth their salt, they'll just say, what, what do you miss? What are you planning to make with it? Yeah. You know, because like that's how they're thinking like. Don't ask me all these weird questions about whether I have a bone-in exactly. skin on the other thing. Are we braising? Are we Like, what grilling? are you trying to do? Hey, we don't have good shrimp, but if you're grilling, you can get some... We got really beautiful scallops right now. You can throw those on the grill with some skewers and Exactly. Boom. And they're like, um, quick cooking, long cooking. Okay, so you had this idea where cooking begins, the shopping process. You pitch this to whom? Who do you go well, to? Well, first... Because I've never and, written anything longer than 400 <laughs> words, ever. All right, so career coaching on how to write a cookbook. The first thing... Really, you need to like get an agent who will take you on. So I had a at the beginning, I did not have a good specific hook at all. I was like, you know, I just want to write like good a cookbook. That's like the food that I like making. Like I like to cook. And I met with a couple of people. They're like, yeah, that's great. Like you need a hook, you yeah. know. And then I ended up working with this agent named um, Catherine Coles, who was like incredible and very really thought about it like an editor. Mm -hmm. So she we did a lot of work on the proposal where she was like, that's great, you're great, I'm sure it'll be great, but like, if you're gonna sell something, you need a hook. And so that, through months of kind of back and forth, got down to there's something about how I approach cooking at home that's very much about like how I hunt and gather for what I wanna make. And some of it is this like fun, romantic idea of going to the farmer's market or going to a great market or having like a great butcher who I like and love you, to and go you write to. you about that in the beginning on a beautiful yeah. sunny June day where it's warm but not too hot and yeah. you've got all morning and you don't have to worry <laughs> about the kids and your husband's off doing something. Yeah. Which obviously that happens once every 12 months. Uh, realistically, you've got like, oh, I got to get, get there back. Boom. I got to do this. Totally. And, and I knew that there was an idea in there about that hunting and gathering as a as part of this creative mm -hmm. process was like something. And then sort of through writing the proposal, all of these other moments in my cooking life started to like reveal themselves. So one of the big things that kind of changed the way I shot, cause I used to be a very big batch. When the kids were younger, I was like all about the spending all weekend, big batch cooking for them, food for the week. And then you'd have this like packed full refrigerator. But I felt like 
it was like I was providing by yeah. doing that. And you had worked in restaurants when you were younger, management. Yeah. You understood how a kitchen ran, so you wanted things orderly and on like a system almost. But then it was like, oh my god, I cook for like six hours a day, Saturday and Sunday, so that I don't have to cook during the week. But it actually wasn't very enjoyable. Um, and then just weird things like we had to get a smaller refrigerator at one point. Our refrigerator stopped working. And then the right refrigerator for the space was actually smaller. And that was really when I started cooking differently because I couldn't buy as much stuff at, at a time. Like I couldn't go to the big supermarket run on the weekend and buy like, the you know, where you're like the shopping cart's full. So I'm going to go get online now because yeah. I'm like literally that's as much as I can get home. And then putting it all away and I just couldn't do it anymore because it wouldn't fit. So then I started shopping smaller and sort of through the process of writing the proposal, I was like, oh, wait, this is like a real thing that has been a real evolution in like how I approach my cooking at home. So then I wrote the proposal and then she takes it out out to market. This little piggy went out to market and to then market, publishers. Yep. And then publishers read it and want to ask questions. And then you get a book deal. And then you're like, OK, clock's ticking. Now start writing. Oh, yeah. Then you have a due date. And then and so how many recipes in the book? 70. 70. Plus, there are seven techniques that each have 12 different ideas of how to apply that Steaming, technique. Steaming, roasting, yeah. that sort of thing, confiting. Yep. Exactly. And those lead up to the recipe section. Yeah. So what was harder, developing the recipes or writing the, the text? The writing. Oh, my Why? God. The, because working on the recipes was, it was really all taken from recipes that were very familiar to me and that I already kind of had and were things that I make all the time. Because your home cooking does get... You know, you do you have your tricks and you like you do them. And so just sort of like going through my memory of the dishes that I love to eat, that part was pretty easy. Developing the recipes like I cook anyway. So just taking notes on them. And but that's like, a you know, it's a skill that I've learned here. So I was like pretty, pretty on top of that. Producing the shoots was um, we shot uh, over three long weekends. So that might have been why you didn't really notice that I wasn't here because <laughs> it was like Friday to a Monday. And then, and that process was like great, worked with amazing people and like it was really creatively fun and like doing it and it was like coming to life and then writing the writing. It was just, and I thought, you know, I do this for a living. I was like, I write recipes Literally. all the time, like writing head notes. I've written the head notes of BA for How hard can that years. be? I was like, I'm going to bang it out. I'm going to sit down and bang it out. And it was just like, oh my God, I might die doing this. So um, people would go home when I was in the middle of you know, the process of like having to turn in the manuscript. So like people would go home at night here and I'd be like, good night, goodbye yeah. everyone. Oh, so you stayed at work and did in the stay. office. I was it one would, of those guys. Well, I'm not I was so, like, bye. Yeah, bye. So people would leave and there were t there were nights when I knew I was going to be here for a long time. I like literally had a change of clothes. Would have the, the worst thing the about this building, they turn off they the turn air. They turn the air off. Like it's any, rough. And it's not like freezing, but it's just stuffy. Yeah. And at least here I had like my stand-up desk and I had my books you, that you, I needed. You and your stand -up yeah. <laughs> and then a lot of it was uh, weekends. Like my, you know, that was another thing you learn when you're like doing a project like this. Um, having having a, a partner who would be like, sure, do you need me to disappear for seven hours? Is that what you're asking me to do right now? That's <laughs> what like, that, husbands are yep. great at that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, goodbye. All right, let's talk about some specific recipes. Okay. Um, because on the book cover, Where Cooking Begins, uncomplicated recipes to make you a great cook, beautiful sort of seared, buttery scallops mm -hmm. on the cover. Um, and the recipes look and feel like things that a seasoned 
home cook would make, but they definitely lean very home cook, mm-hmm. not restaurant cook. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I can make that. Um, I'm looking at rack roasted chicken with gravy potatoes, and there's this photo of this beautiful crispy bronze bird just sitting right on the rack, yep. oven rack, and below it is a big cast iron skillet of little like sort of baby new potatoes mm-hmm. catching all the drippings. And I'm like, why have I not done this before? Yeah, this was, um, it's funny that you said it doesn't It doesn't look like a restaurant technique. I, this is a, th- a thing. The first time I saw it was when we did that story with Daidue. Oh, down in Texas. And I was like, oh, that's genius. Because when I worked in restaurants, you would roast chickens on just a, on like a rack set into a rim baking sheet. Mm-hmm. And it's for air circulation. But really the, you know, the baking sheet's not that deep or you take a little cooling rack set into the yeah because otherwise when you put the when, the, when you put the chicken just on like a, a sheet yeah. tray or whatever then the bottom gets all kind of soggy that's my least Ugh. favorite thing so this really solves that where you you put the chicken directly on your rack which is very heat conductive mm. and has the wide slats so air can get all around and you don't get any of the like soggy bottom um and you then don't want soggy bottom but you don't know never and that but you don't want all those juices also hitting the bottom of your um oven and causing a grease smoky yeah. situation so um putting the rack of um potatoes the pan of potatoes directly underneath and wait so, i'm gonna stop you okay let's say you're at the market and get inspired like oh my god those parsnips look amazing or yeah. those p- multicolored carrots look yes. amazing you can just throw those in the pan so right? let me guide your eye oh to, um, oh look at this there's I a sidebar if it actually Sp- yeah so in it. every recipe i kind of break it out there's the ingredients like normal ingredients but but then there's also the t- at the top of the page just trying to from you the, know, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read this. So okay. it says from the market, chicken waxy potatoes. Spin it. Replace the potatoes with whole peeled shallots. Ooh, I'd love that because I get all caramelly. Trimmed leeks. Love sure. that. Get nice and sweet. Scrubbed carrots. You got to scrub. Uh, come on. Do you have to say scrubbed carrots? I mean, no. Um, <laughs> halved parsnips. Look at that. It's right there. there. I love parsnips. Two inch wedges of winter squash. What is what qualifies as winter squash? Any of the hard ones like kabocha, butternut, um, acorn. Those okay. Ones. Or once again, scrubbed beets. I'm not beef. No one, no. I no, like a beet. No one really likes beets. Your son on this podcast <laughs> lied about lying. loving beets. I was like, it was the first thing beets. that came into his head. Oh, this is an interesting one. Halved firm apples, such as Pink Lady. Sure. I never would have thought about that. I guess you put like pork roast. Yeah, like and stuff. pork and yeah. apples are like a nice. Emma, yeah. you ever have? Would you ever do that? Maybe she's like. Mm. Maybe. I feel like if you combine the shallot and the apple, yeah, that yeah. could be really nice together. I do or like the leeks a- I do and like the apples. A lot of times I'll throw apple in when I'm making cabbage. I'll slice right. up apples with the onions and cabbage. Oh, so that sounds great. And then you have another spinet in terms of seasoning, like smoked paprika, Aleppo pepper, ground cumin, et cetera, to season the bird. And that's because I really wanted people to do the thing of like, you could actually choose this recipe before you go shopping, but still have enough flexibility built in so that if they... If you're looking for waxy potatoes and they're like, whatever, fresh out of waxed potatoes, sorry, mm. lady. And you're like, crap, <sighs> now what do I do? There's sort of this built in understanding of like, I, I mean, yeah, which way I, you could go. My, my old thing with cooking, and I used to do a column at GQ magazine, you is know, that right? that? yeah, uh, called the technique. <laughs> and that it's, it's with most recipes, it's the technique that matters. Right. And this cool rack roasted technique here is the fact is you're doing a bird on a rack, whether there's parsnips or potatoes or apples in the pan, it's the, that's catching the fat, it's cooking in there, yeah. the air is circulating around the bird. 
Oh, random question. Are you yeah. a convection oven fan? Do you like I the do. I mean, I have one on my oven, mm-hmm. and so... I never uh, know when to use it or when I shouldn't use it. This is a good time to use mm-hmm. it, actually. So it just, circulates all about. Yeah, it can be too much on, like, delicate things. You would never use it if you were, say, making, like, a cust- like quiche or something. Yeah. You don't want that, like, hot air blowing all around. Oh, interesting. But, yeah. Uh, this looks absolutely delicious. That's Spaghetti so, oh with crick braised artichokes. I uh, I am I'm stunned and 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 pleased to hear you say this because of how many fights we've had about artichokes actually over the years. Well, here's my thing. I would love to come to your house and eat this pasta because I've never bought an artichoke. Really? Like a whole artichoke. It's just like <laughs> there's that the thorny part in the middle and right. the, what the heart is. I don't even understand what the heart so is. Most of how this... you get the heart, how, how you clean the things, like what you can eat and can't eat. They're so complicated and intimidating. It's like why would you ever deal with that? The, most of this recipe is explaining how you trim the artichoke. Well, exactly. Right? It's like, but that's look, a, just it's, read it's, that it's like sentence. A, it's a wall of text. Just read that. This takes way longer to describe than it does to do in real life. Oh, okay. Oh, so you're so saying you it's not that it. hard. It's not that bad. You know what and you I would only like? Need, like two artichokes. You're like a YouTube star these days, right? Well, yeah. You know. So have we ever done a YouTube video on the Bon Appetit? Com. No, it's on the Bon Appetit YouTube channel, whatever. With artichokes? Yeah. Um, we should. I actually just pitched it, and uh, it didn't it's, It didn't get a sign this time, but I think it will come back around. I want to do it for a back-to-back chef. I think that that would be- Oh, that would be funny. Right? Yeah. Because for someone who had never bought or trimmed an artichoke- They're intimidating. Yeah, and you have to talk through like- Explain what the, the different parts the stem, are. What's the stem, and then there's thorns. Like, yeah. you might get stabbed. It you could, could be, die. You could <laughs> die. <laughs> you, it's a thistle. You don't, want, you, could, you don't want to kill Natalie Portman or something with your celeb of, of, no, of the moment no. on these videos. I love this one. See, all right. So I feel like you've got the like the artichokes. You have the spaghetti with oleo and parsley. And then you have like a recipe like chicken cutlets with spicy coconut dressing. This strikes me as like such a recipe developer recipe. I would eat the hell out of this thing. There's like little crispy cutlets and a bed of lettuce. But it feels very like clever. It's not clever. It's just drawing on the same thing that is always good, which is that fatty, mm. crunchy things go really well with cool and crisp things. So mm. it was just another way of thinking about like a veal cutlet, you know, with the with the arugula and tomato salad on top. It's just the same. Just riffing on that. Again, on sort that. of riffing on, spin it. You're spinning. You're I spinning. Sp- it. I spin it. When did you start cooking? more regularly with like coconut milk or coconut cream and what's your what's your advice for people getting into it um you know i was really lucky because i worked for chefs who had that stuff in their kitchen so i probably like was exposed to it in the context of like you know learning a restaurant recipe I don't know. I've always enjoyed a good coconut curry. So, and I just feel like it's a good weeknight thing. Like if you have a good brand of curry paste. So probably when I was first in my first couple apartments, like, oh, you can just like buy curry paste in a jar and buy a can of coconut milk and make like a noodle soup. You know, like if you really can't cook anything. So weirdly, and this is just by happenstance, um, I made a coconut curry last week because Simone bought... This cookbook, like it's like a good health, like cookbook by a doctor. It's so sad and depressing. There's like a peeled orange on the cover. Oh boy! 
Is it like macronutrients? It's something, and I was making fun of it. And she's like, well, your friend Gwyneth is a big fan of this doctor. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. Okay. Whatever. Anyways, and I was texting the picture to Emil, and we were making fun of it and laughing about this cookbook <laughs> that I had to cook from. But then the uh, made this vegetable curry, which was delicious, a couple cans of coconut milk, some curry powder in there, and then you had some potatoes, some carrots, this and that. And then we made it last week. And I wasn't that hungry that night. And it was good. But then we reheated it last mm. night. We had a couple of friends over. It was in the freezer. And it's that thing where it just oh. gets that much better the yeah. second time around because the potatoes and all the veg in there really absorbed it, um, the, the coconut milk and the curry powder. And then we sort of – this is what I also like doing. I imagine you like doing this too. Is like sometimes you can sort of freshen up a braised dish – like with a braise when you throw on a little, uh, what's the one we call it with the parsley and the garlic and the lemon peel? Gremolata. Gremolata, uh-huh. maybe some chopped <laughs> nuts or whatever. And this one we threw in uh, some kale and some uh, sliced up yellow pepper and sort of mixed that in and cooked that down. Um, made a little sort of basmati pilaf deal. And God, it was good. Sounds really so, good. I mean, apologies, that, apologies to the good doctor. That recipe for the um, little chicken cutlets with that iceberg salad, I actually just use the fat from the top of the coconut milk. So it's like... Oh, um, so yeah, because it it when you buy dressing. coconut milk, it's separated. Yeah. There's like the dense fat on top. Yeah, you of- can buy the coconut cream that... D- is a thing that exists, but you can also just buy a can of coconut milk and not shake it up and then use that um, actually as the fat instead of olive oil in the dressing. It just has that coconut solids. Do you have a notion of what recipes in this book might like take off? No, it's really funny because when I was working on the book, I kept having that thought like well but what's the one that's going to be like the one and what's the one that's going to be the the cookies or like the whatever the like one that everybody makes and I really you could really get yourself into a bad place if you the chicken marbella if you will (laughs) if you like plan to try to do that and I feel like the times that we have tried or thought we knew it bon appetit like which one was going to be the one and we're like oh this is going to be the one and you're never right and it's always some other one that like hits a nerve for whatever reason because the photograph is amazing or because I don't you know it's like that that cranberry curd um pie that we did for Thanksgiving that has the little sugared cranberries on top you know what you know when you say cranberry curd I do not get hungry I know but that was like for a couple years that was like our top and then you're just like, well, you can't. I just yeah. said to myself, well, that's kind of what's interesting. You can't plan. No, you can't plan it. And I think you, what's neat in this sort of social media age that we live in, and you are active on your Instagram account. What's your handle again? Lolly Music. L A L L I Music. Uh, I mean, yeah. if people don't know that, geez. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but Carl is active on it, and she uh, interacts with her her fans and cooks out there and whatnot. But it's what's cool about the the notion of what recipe does gain traction is that it's ultimately up to the cooks right. the home cooks and they're the ones who decide what the recipe is they love to make and why and then and then you like oh and then once you sort of get it then you sort of interact with them yeah i just felt like i had to make food that was not there were recipes that i started developing and i was like i actually i don't even like like this you know what i mean yeah. there were a couple of things that i thought sounded good or would be fun to make and then I tra- started developing them and was like wouldn't make it wouldn't eat it don't care about it and I cut them because I just yeah, felt how, like so you, 70 made the book yeah. how many did you develop the original didn't? list was like somewhere between 80 and 90 I think around 85 on my original table of contents and it's kind of as 
part of it was like for time, I just couldn't develop all of those or realizing like, oh, that, that one's really similar to this mm-hmm. other one that I yep. like a lot. And then there was there was one like uh, it was a carrot. It was going to be like a pan roasted carrot thing that I had like such a vision for. And I made it three times and I was like, actually, I hate carrots and I never make this. So I just, I cut it. Um, so I just tried to do food that like the recipe works. It's something that I thought tasted great and that simplicity, like sort of falling into some of the rules that I had made for myself in the development of the book, like not making you buy 17 different spices for mm. one, you know, just keeping it as down to earth as I could. Like you don't really need bay leaves, for instance. <laughs> I think bay leaves are, bay- no, they're on my you essential. You have like, they're, they're, they're like on the, my They are the first thing on your essential. Because <laughs> well, it's a bee, no. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're the least essential thing. It's alphabetical. If you make a great braise and don't put in bay leaves, the braise is still going to be really Didn't tasty. did we prove this to be false on bonappetit.com? Like Alex Delaney made bay leaf infused water and everybody tasted it. Oh, God. It. Delaney. Did you have a, during this process, did you have a sort of a recipe conciliary who you would turn to like, is this good? Like, yeah. What does it need? Like, you know who one, was my person? Was I, I don't because I'm asking. My son, Leo, was the really? most, yep, he was the most honest he's not like He's not like your other son, Cosmo, who no, lies. Cosmo's like, uh, I don't care for green things, <laughs> but it looks great, mom. No, Leo eats everything. And he would taste it and he would, he has a great way of giving feedback and he gave me the best, most honest. Wow. Yeah. He was a great little taster. He was really, really good. What about your husband? Um, Fernando is, you know, predisposed to like everything I make. Oh, thank you. This is great. (laughs) This is great, honey. He's a little bit more like, oh yeah, like it. You know, where Leo would just, I don't know. He's a little bit more picky a party. Yeah. Critical, critically, you know, it's good to have a critical thing. Okay, so yeah, critical critical son likes everything, husband, but you also have a sister who's involved in the food world and is on shoots a lot. And I imagine would have a more sort of professional perspective on a dish. What was her input? She did all the props for the book. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think she knew a lot of the dishes because they were things that I made. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. There were some things that are definitely from our family life together that resonated. So certain ingredients like that braised artichoke pasta I think I've made for her. The pasta fagioli is based on my mom's recipe. Um, She's been at my house for so many like entertaining, shreddy, big hunk of um, pork kind of moments. She was really, really helpful to me in what we wanted what we wanted the pictures to look like because oh. both of us have been, you know, she works for, a, uh, ha, she's retired from prop styling now, but she'd been on like every great food shoot in the past seven years. Like the whole time that I had been in BA, she was prop styling. And so we'd seen a lot of food photography and both of us wanted to figure out like how to make it feel different or more personal or so we went to like prop houses together and just kind of like had fun with being whimsical and not having like a very clear idea of like we're going for marine seattle late summer like which we do at ba because you want a story to be focused you want to get where it's coming from and michelle allen our current creative director i remember that april issue which we did and you wrote the feature well on sort of how we cook now and she was like 
Italy yeah. meets the Southwest. Exactly. Right? What? Yeah. So think <laughs> Tuscany by way of Taos. And you're like, oh, okay. I get so you're it. You're like soft light terracotta, but yeah. with a palm leaf yeah, shadow. Exactly. Like, like, all right, I'm I'm oriented very now. Very particular. Yeah, Nina and I were like, 70s Sophia Loren yeah. plus like whatever whimsical weird thing. So that um, we had a Pinterest board that we would just like add like weird weird like mustard yellow this is awesome i don't know why but it's awesome and then kind of came up with a color palette and went from there so yeah like that purple plate for example was very like you know and nina was like "Ooh, i've never gotten to use this on a shoot because no one will ever let me it feels very it's like your kitchen grown up in california like in the late 70s yes uh, and we had a lot of those personal memories of Hellerware and stuff like that. Your father, Frank Lolly, longtime editor in the business, did he have any input or thoughts on the book, or <laughs> did you not? Did you not ask him? Um, I did, and his the one thing that um, he said over and over was, "Carla, on the cover, your name can't be big enough." <laughs> That's true. And like, I was just like, "Okay, okay." He would be like, "Listen to me now." Yeah. <laughs> like he just kept your name can't be big and it's pretty big so when then well, it's, it's, it's the same point size <laughs> as the title the, yeah so when Which he saw good. it he was like name looks good <laughs> yeah. like, cool dad because that's well that's funny because when you think about it when you get to those sort of bestseller author sort of books it's the name of the author especially for like these like, thriller novels and yeah. stuff that are ginormous and then the title like tiny underneath totally yeah all right so the book is officially out everything i always hear from people who have done cookbooks is that it's on the author to really make the promotion happen, the book tour, all that sort of stuff. So what's what's the next step? I have an event tonight at Books or Magic. Oh, nice. In Brooklyn. And then there's some stuff going to be happening around in New York. It's nice to be here in such a big market so I can have events happening like over the rest of the month. And then also, in- Also, like, it's a, such a big city. Yes, a lot of media and all that stuff here. But you can have an event on the Upper West Side and get one audience compared to in Brooklyn, a totally different audience Completely. compared to you know somewhere downtown or what. Yeah, you can really and hit it's, a few it's spots. also different than like the when the magazine comes out and it's really people t- are talking about it for about three weeks. Like with a book, you can it'll have a little life into the spring now yeah. and hopefully longer. Um, and then in April, I'm gonna go to L.A. and San Francisco for what um, is for now on referred to as Lollipalooza. Mm, yeah, like so that. that is going to be my, I'll have tour dates in San Francisco and LA. Did you put a vacation form in for that? I did, actually. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, You've been notified. Yeah, do you do, try to sync up with any sort of festivals or panel things, you know, conferences, that sort of stuff? Um, No, not really. It's really, it's hard. It's, it's hard. Yeah, because you actually do have a full-time job. I, yeah. And two kids that we've heard about and a right. husband and all that. And I mean, we were in Austin last weekend, right? Yes. And um, it was right before the book came out, but it was, like, fun to be to be there for South By. If I, but I wouldn't have, you know, like, moved the pub date to be able to promote it. It just is what it is. It'll fall in where it falls in. All right, two questions before we go. Okay. Con and pro. Okay, this is, like, lightning round. We haven't done these in a while. What's the one thing in the book you wish you could have done differently or better now that you look at it? Oh, man. Oh, this is very like an egotistical thing. Somehow through. Make, make, make your name bigger? Yeah. No, my, I'm happy with the name. I um, Somehow we shot all of those technique shots of, of all those tech, seven different techniques. And it's me in all the images 
somehow we went through the entire shoot and I don't have one picture of me cooking where you see my face. Mm. So there's, yeah, images. Your friend, your friend Gwyneth Paltrow would have told you how important You gotta that is. do that. Yeah. So it's like collarbone to belt. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, that looking back now, I'm starting to do some press and people are like, oh, could we get a picture of you like in the kitchen? I'm like, yeah, they all cut off in my collarbone. <laughs> so, so that's kind of a regret. I don't know how we didn't make that happen. I, I think that's a great point. I think, I, I don't know if that's on you, but perhaps that should have been on someone in the cookbook world who we should have pointed out like, hey, we like, definitely want to get some of the shots. Meanwhile, Cosmo, he has yeah, a recipe a, for his yeah. pancakes and Cosmo. like he's in this like beautiful light. <laughs> <sighs> that kid. Uh, we need to have him back on the pod. What are you, when you look at the book now and it came in, what are you most stoked about? You're like, oh my God, this like came out even better than I thought it would. Like what elements of it? I think the way that the technique pages look um, mm. was exactly how I had hoped. It was not exactly. It was better than I imagined them. Um, part of it there's is this, that uh, this photo I love this steam photo where there's these beautiful multicolored carrots and a bamboo basket and the wisp of steam is coming up and you see uh, presumably your hand. Yep, and uh, that was our joke on set. Mart Marty hires was every time we were while we were shooting the steam um, section, he kept saying, "Man, it's like shooting steam in the sunlight." <laughs> <laughs> it's and it's like... worked out. And it's what I love about these shots. Uh, and we've talked about this before in the magazine. This is a yeah, beautiful natural light streaming in to the kitchen, presumably. And you've got a shot of the oil drizzling on there. Yeah. And in the past, we've done some technique shots in BA. And they've gone much more in that old school time life, very yeah. clinical, yeah. overhead, white. And I'm always like, that doesn't... That's, that was that's really... the opposite of what cooking is. Like cooking is in a natural space. It, it is an environment, you know, and... It is it in, a little messy. Yeah. It is real people's hands, and There's that stuff was in the something. Background. There's a little clutter, which is which I. I, I feel really like, like whenever you shots. do technique shots in editorial, you like go to the hospital room. Is what I always. Do. Yes. You know, it's like some I white don't environment. I don't want to go or, to the hospital. Yeah. So the there and then this was something that the designers came up with this idea that we, there would be a different paper stock for the design for the technique section. Oh yeah, because so like, when you get paper. yeah, this is uncoded, and then when you get to the recipe section, which is I'm going to tell you what page number it's on. You want to guess? Mm, I don't mm, know. No. It'll be by signature, forty-eight we, we, or something. Part three, the recipes. Have, well, of I'm course, if, so if there were page numbers, eighty-four is the first recipe. But there's a lot of actionable information and images before eighty-four. I would not say it's like a densely texted. No, book you can that's just have a lot you. of payoff in yeah. this technique section. The goal was to just show a technique and how you could adapt it to whatever ingredient looked good to you when you went shopping or yeah. whatever ingredient looked good to you when you went shopping in your refrigerator. All right, Carla Music. I imagine uh, our listeners can like buy this book on Amazon or something. Yeah, sure. And like now you can, I think, I, I had to ask my publisher, I was like, so on the day that the it's the pub date, does that mean that like when you go in a store, it'll mm. be there? And they were like, Yep, yeah. that's what that means. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where cooking begins: uncomplicated recipes to make you a great cook by Carla Lolly Music in really big type. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Carla. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che, and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode. Email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.